Hey, it's Adam here, and I want to tell you where you can get more free sex and how you can support the podcast. I'm building a kind of hub for the project on Substack. It's just freesex.substack.com. I'm publishing transcripts for all episodes there for free and occasional writings about free sex for subscribers only. Plus, you can interact with me and stuff like that. To make this podcast, I'm relying on contributions from listeners. My indie podcast company, Artnell, has invested in getting it going, and I'm paying my guests. But the only way I can fund it from now is with support from people like you, who subscribe at freesex.substack.com. Or you can just continue listening to the podcast for free and using the transcripts on the Substack if you need them. Thanks for joining me as we edge ever closer to a world of free sex. What does free sex mean to you? Do you ever think you'd have more sex or better sex if only you could change one thing? What is that thing? I'm Adam Smith, a writer, podcast producer, walker, talker, thinker, wanker. (laughs) I started having sex at 29. 29! And I've been obsessed ever since. Now I'm on a mission to find out how, as a society, we hold each other back in sex. What could a world of free sex look like? For me, free sex is a world with more places to fuck and without sexually transmitted infections. How about you? What are you into? Every episode, I speak to a different human with a unique idea for what free sex could mean. This podcast is fully pansexual and gender fluid. From mild to wild, everyone is welcome. Let's go. Should doctors be prescribing orgasm? My guest in this episode is Dr. Elliot Justin. Elliot has a background in emergency medicine, but recently he's been busy inventing a pretty fancy cock ring. Elliot is really into men's erectile fitness because it can tell doctors like him a lot about the patient's overall health. So the cock ring developed by his company, Ferntech, get it? claims to be comfortable enough to be worn for long periods and smart enough to collect data on things like blood flow. Elliot and I also talked about why doctors are shy about asking patients about their sex lives. Sexual function is correlated with sexual fitness, of course, and both can be powerful indicators of other things like cardiac fitness. Oh, and if you're not a penis owner and don't play with someone who is, I'd totally understand if you want to sit this episode out. Dr. Elliot Justin, welcome to Free Sex. It's lovely to have you today. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. <laughs> now, tell me, what does free sex mean to you? Well, I look at this from a medical perspective. So free sex to me means people will have sex free of anxieties, free of diseases. Uh, and as a consequence, they'll be able to have better sex and they'll have longer lives of lovemaking. I mean, the numbers are really alarming today. 50% of men by age 50 have erectile dysfunction. 
but at age 30, it's 25 to 30% of men. Wow. So we need to try to um, give people information that will help them deal with these problems. If you can track it, you can hack it. Right. Okay. So I want to, I, I need to understand a bit more about erectile dysfunction. And so it's great to have you on the podcast because I've had previous doctors talk about infections, sexual, sexually transmitted infections, but I need to know more about function. So can you tell me a bit more about ED, what it is, what's happening in a person's body? Yeah. I mean, erectile dysfunction uh, in broad terms means that you either cannot attain erection nor, or you can't sustain erection in order to satisfy yourself. Now, the time range can be variable, but that's, that, that, that's the essence of it. And uh, there's, there are many, many causes ranging from anxiety to severe medical conditions. So uh, in order for uh, someone to function, you have to, you have, to have blood flow, mm-hmm. you have to have functioning nerves, and you have to have mu- muscle tone. So let's look at all three of those quickly. Blood yeah. flow. Well, Tragically, we live in an age where, from my perspective, the real pandemics are diseases like hypertension, diabetes. In the United States, in the UK, in most of the world, uh, these diseases affect about 50% of the adult population. Often people have both of them. And both those diseases lead to um, decreased blood flow. Mm-hmm. And then we, and then as we age, we all get atherosclerosis, hardening the arteries, or in this case, hardening the small arteries. It's called arteriosclerosis. Uh, nerves. Well, diabetes affects about 25 to 30% of the adult population in the United States and, and in the UK. And those people, in addition to having vascular changes, they have mm-hmm. nerve changes. But the last thing is muscles. Now, <laughs> sexual function is a smooth muscle function. It's not a skeletal muscle function. You can't go to the gym and make your dick harder. You right. can't go to the gym and address your erectile dysfunction. I mean, there is some, I mean, there's some, there, the, we all can squeeze our rectum and women can squeeze their vagina. There's a muscle called the pubococcygeus muscle that surrounds, PCG muscle, that surrounds the rectum and surrounds the vagina. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it doesn't really increase to any great significance blood flow to the penis or the clitoris. So, right. uh, you know, there the are a lot of people telling people, there are a lot of therapists, frankly, who are telling people, hey, you do the pelvic floor exercises, you'll have a better erection. Mm-hmm. And the impact is actually marginal. If you, have, if you, if you increase your pelvic floor, your pelvic floor, uh, you might enjoy anal or vaginal sex more, but it's not. But it's not. Oh, your partner and your partner might enjoy it more because you can squeeze them. But it's not going to really put the blood into the penis or the clitoris more, which is what we're really most concerned with. So smooth muscle function. It's use it or lose it. You know. Right. Um, you know. If, uh, now, if, if you or I starved ourselves and then decided to eat to eat a larger amount of food, we would mm-hmm. vomit because mm-hmm. a smooth muscle and gastrointestinal system will, will, will atrophy. Well, it's the same thing with your penis. And we doctors are kind of assholes about sex. So what we don't make any recommendations about sex. Right. Think about that. I mean, right. we tell people to lose weight. We tell people to keep your medicine, eat your, take your medicines, tell people to exercise. Mm. Tell people, we, make, we have lots of recommendations, but we make no recommendations about sex. It's the area that's so vital to most people. Well, we as a company at Firmtech, we recommend that people have at least to maintain their muscle tone two orgasms a week. And that's, of course, I think that's, daily is better. <laughs> right. That is such a, an interesting idea as well. Like that, um, a part, a, a one way to get to, um, people feeling better about sex and, and having freer sex, better sex that they want is if they actually, uh, keep it going. And that would be, that might require us to have doctors prescribe 
sex or <laughs> orgasms to people, which um, definitely that's kind of a world that makes sense to me anyway. Um, I think a lot of people would want to know how as a doctor and why did you get into this particular problem? <laughs> why study? Okay, why, well, why look at this? Why try to help That's a great question. So I, I, unlike most doctors, I've always been really interested in sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe you, you, maybe you have this. I'm playing I'm the only doctor I know whose mother took him to urologist three times as a teenager for his masturbation habits because she was so worried I wouldn't get into college. Uh, <laughs> how many times a week? Oh, uh, how many times a day? More. I day, was, right? I was, I was around son at six or seven or seven a day. I, okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I, I guess that kind of makes me an outlier. So when I put my first day of medical school. Uh, again, found myself alone in the medical library. I was the only person who immediately ran up to the medical, ran up to the library to read about aphrodisiacs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same, it was the same stuff then that doesn't really work today, but people take because they have hopes and where their hopes yeah. are dopes. So back then, there was, it was still horny goat weed, yo himbe, uh, Spanish fly, um, L arginine, nitric right. oxide, all these, really the same stuff today. Is and there anything all... to any of that? No. The okay. bad news is none of it works. That's a big N-O. <laughs> right. So uh, the, we, and, and what's interesting in firm tech, well, we, because we, we invented this wearable, we'll talk about it in a little bit, it makes things objective. We, we tested these. I've been tested group here in where I live in Bozeman, Montana. And we, people, we, we have a challenge. If you think something is working, mm-hmm. let's test it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, what you think beet juice works, you think that, so... Over the cap, the, the supplements in our in our experience are are not effective. Right. Uh, there are there are now injectable testosterone can be effective. Uh, there are you know there are there are things, but in terms of all that all that, uh, let me we we allopaths, the conventional doctors, we have fallen to disrepute disrepute, especially after COVID, because mm-hmm. we are no we are unable to deliver effectively what people want. Well, so people then turn to naturopaths and homeopaths and other and the alternatives, but they too fail to test a lot of their things objectively. And they also, like doctor, like regular doctors, they have secondary gain. And when you have an alliance of people who believe and make money, things get pushed that don't necessarily work. Right. And how did that strike you when you were a junior doctor or a medical student that there, there was this field of medicine that you were interested in looking at, but it was... It had those qualities to it, or that lack of quality check, you might say, compared to other parts of medicine. Well, I find, <laughs> I, I find medicine to be, the state of medicine to be appalling, you know, mm-hmm. today. But let me get back to, you asked me how I got involved in this yeah. particular issue. So, uh, you know, I live in Montana, I own horses. Sometimes mm-hmm. I have the illusion, the delusion, that I'm a centaur. Okay. Uh, I don't know whether you ride horses, but you kind of have this notion that you're kind I of don't, one but I sometimes horse. think I'm a centaur too. Yeah. Come <laughs> visit. We'll test that. Anyways, <laughs> I, I, I uh, rode, I collided with a tree okay. uh, while going very fast, and I broke six vertebrae. And when you break your back, you're concerned about your spinal cord. Will it, will it still function? So yeah. for all your viewers out there, there's something that I call the cock-up sign. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you think you've broken your, broken your back and you're worried about your spinal cord, if you cock up your big toe, you can urinate, forn- defecate, and fornicate the big three. It's a big release. Okay. Anyway, that got me interested. This back in 2015. got me interested again in sexual function. Mm-hmm. I, I, I went back to the, the medical literature, and there were five papers 
by, by renowned urologists saying it's able to produce erections in men with spinal cord injuries by implanting an electrode by the cavernous nerve. Mm-hmm. The cavernous nerve is everyone's favorite nerve that no one's ever heard about. It's a nerve that's supposedly responsible for producing orgasms. I had a, a friend, friendly urologist uh, implant an electrode by my cavernous nerve, and I didn't get an erection. I didn't right. let alone have an orgasm. So that, uh, a urologist at the University of Utah, now I'm going back about three years, heard about this project that I call Project O, obvious reasons. Uh, and he told me, I want to come up with a way of counting the number of nocturnal erections that men have while they're sleeping, because that is a leading indicator of men's mm-hmm. cardiovascular health. A leading indicator in medicine is a really powerful phrase. It's not association. It's mm-hmm. a leading indicator. It's prophetic. It's predicting. Mm-hmm. So uh, high blood pressure, for example, is associated with stroke, and heart attacks, and erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Decreasing nocturnal erections predicts. You have, mm-hmm. if, you, if your number of nocturnal erections goes down significantly, mm-hmm. you are highly likely to have a heart attack or a stroke in the next year. Mm-hmm. That's, that's profound. And I thought, gee, I never heard about that. Most doctors haven't heard about that. That's interesting. Uh, but did you say that there wasn't a way of measuring that? Because Well, I, the only I, way, yeah, the, the only way, there's a device called the Ridges Scan, which is mm-hmm. even used in the United States and it's still used a little bit in the UK. Mm-hmm. It looks like something Dr. Frankenstein would put in your dick. <laughs> uh, you know, you're, you're, you're hooked up to wires you got to be in a sleep lab, right? Uh, and you can't roll over, uh, oh. and it's it's not so it's not testing people under under real circumstances. It's not oh, user yeah. friendly. Yeah. It's not testing people under under real circumstances. It's falling out of fashion. And what the doctors do is just throw pill. Hey, you got trouble getting it up? Here's a prescription for a PD five medication like Cialis or you know Viagra. Right. Yeah. Which and increases blood flow. Increases blood flow, but the problem for most men. Uh, is not actually increased blood flow. It's keeping the blood in. Okay. So most men, doctors, doctors kind of group together these two two types, two classes of, of rectal dysfunction, if you will. Yeah. There's men who can't attain an erection, mm-hmm. and there are men who can't sustain an erection. Mm-hmm. Before you can't attain an erection, you can't sustain an erection. Yeah. So you know we're all we're all on this path to erectile dysfunction. All men, that is. Oh, women too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we have we all want to maintain our erectile fitness. Mm-hmm. We want, we want to, if we're on this path, we want to stop where we are and say, I like where I am. Can I go back even? But I, I like where I am. Can I keep, see how, how do I stay here? Mm-hmm. You know, if we have a problem, we want to try to reverse it. We don't want to go all the way to, we can't obtain an erection. So mo- for most men, it's about this, the issue is about staying erection. And that can involve anything from anxiety. Anxiety is probably the most common reason. Yeah. That's by the way, going back to something we said discussed earlier, that's why use it or lose it is so important. Mm-hmm. If you a man is if a man has a lot of sex, he's more confident. He enters he enters into a sexual encounter mm-hmm. confident. Mm-hmm. Men lose their erection, men can lose their erection because they're anxious, because someone says something they don't they don't like, because mm-hmm. they're drinking and they're smoking pot. They've also they're the, the other common, most common common cock killer in men as they get older are medications. Antihypertensives, uh SSRI depressants are killers of cocks. So, you know, if you have, again, if you have data, if you have a way of evaluating what's going on, you can actually say, what dose is good for me? What dose is bad for me? What, mm-hmm. what's happening when, you know, when, when I take these, you know, when I take these pills? Yeah. And so you were having that problem and that doctor helped you with, you were working with a doctor, you were looking at I was, the... I was, I was no. having a problem, but no, sorry. Yeah, so, he, so this doctor, as this, this is interesting. So this I mean, seeing this there, problem. Right, I want to count the number of nocturnal reactions. Like, yeah. First I thought, what the fuck? Why, why do you care? And I understood why. It's really important. 
And I thought, my God, this is like a sixth vital sign. This is this is mm-hmm. as important as getting your blood pressure checked, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. getting an electric, electric cardiogram, you know, every year. Mm-hmm. But this doctor, like most urologists, especially straight urologists, had no experience with sex toys. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, for me, I, you know, I, I try on a cock ring every couple times a year, and they suck because they're made out of hard silicone. They pinch. Mm-hmm. They, you want them off right away after you come. You know, and mm-hmm. and you also can only wear them about 20, 30 minutes because they're like a chokehold, like yeah. a noose on your dick. I mean, what what kind of designer would think, hey, let's put a noose on a penis? I mean, that's, that's kind of bizarre, yeah. you know? So yeah. when he told me he wanted to count the number of nocturnal erections, I said, oh, my, well, we can do better than that. We can embed sensors into a cock ring and have the world's first smart cock ring. Mm-hmm. And now they have something that can be worn overnight to count the number of nocturnal erections that are so important. We're also worn during sex to evaluate our firmness and how long we last during sex so that men can now measure the impact of diseases, diabetes, hypertension, mm-hmm. atherosclerosis, medications, antihypertensives, SSRI antidepressants, other meds that impact our sexual performance, drugs, recreational drugs, alcohol, mm-hmm. supplements, diet, exercise, all these things about which people are making claims that they're going to improve performance. And so that now, now I had a challenge because since these cock rings are being made out of hard silicone they, and they can't be worn overnight because they pinch, they cut the blood flow, how, do, how are we going to make, how, what are we going to do? Well, uh, this is where uh, my wife can come in handy, handy more ways than that. Right. But she had a stress ball on her desk. Yeah. And I thought, oh, stress balls, they're made out of elastomer. Yeah. Our cock ring is the first cock ring. Oh, made you have out one right there. Of soft elastomer. This is the technique. Right. So then, uh, so we're going to make that of elastomer. Then I, then I thought, I, you know, I, I, gay people don't, un, this is not part of their world, but in, in the straight world, I'd say half the sex between men and women probably, in committed relationships probably starts when a woman's back is being scratched because she wants her bra taken off. She takes off a bra at night. Why? Right. So back is Do you have data on that? Half half the <laughs> half the <laughs> no, sex between men and women <laughs> is back scratching. But talking to my friends and talking to people okay. in this business, straight men or laugh about this, you know, you know so, yeah. so do women. So because a bra is a ring. That's yeah. But it's a ring that opens and closes with a hook, a clasp. Yeah. Okay. A clasp. Uh, so. So, the, so these jackasses that make in the sex toy world making cock rings for the last hundred years the same way, it's like a gasket for your dick. It's still, you know, yeah. This is the first one to made with a hook. I'm sure this, this will be copied. We patented it, but it'll probably be copied because women don't put on bras over their head. It opens and closes with a clasp. Yeah. And that's, that makes for a ring that is easy on, easy off, uh, safe. I mean, so because it's being made out of an elastomer, our rings can be worn for hours. I don't, I don't want to have sex. 20 minutes to be uncomfortable. I want to have sex for an hour and be comfortable. Right. So, and I also, you know, I'm, move, look this way too. I'm 70 years old. I can look down and I can see my dick. Most men my age, most men your age, they look down and they see belly. Right. If you got a guy, you got a, you got a guy who's had two puffs of pot, two shots of bourbon, he's got a big belly, yeah. he's borderline diabetic. He's anxious. He's got lube on his fingers. Now you want to put this little this little gasket on. It's right. just it's just annoying. It's a challenge. So this ring is easy on, easy off. 
It doesn't block the arterial flow. It only constrains the venous return. So it can be worn. And you were looking to do, do, you were looking to measure the, um, the function and the performance to gather data, both like during sex, but also during sleeping. So that you could see whether you could use that diagnostic, that information diagnostically and as um, indicators for other things. Right. And and, and I'm I'm going to pull up, I'll show what the data looks like on my phone in just a second. But the, yeah, we, we, so we have a score called the erectile fitness score. I don't know if you're familiar with Whoop or Aura, but they provide you with data and notifications. So utilizing our app, if you were using this app, and let's suppose you were someone who's who's hypertensive and is taking antidepressant. Uh, we could actually say, hey, um, hey, Nell, you know, your, your your erections are 15% softer this month. Have you changed your medic? Have you changed your medication? Mm-hmm. We could say the reverse. Right. We, could, we could say, hey, Nell, my God, man, you're having twice as much sex as a month as last month. Way right. to go, dude. What's going on? Right, what's, right, what's, right. What's changed in your life? Has there been any any, 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 any changes in your, in your medications you know, or, or habits? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And like what you were saying a bit earlier, you were implying that there's a difference between how much data doctors gather for um, conditions to do with sexual function compared to other conditions. And like the fact that this is a new invention uh, and, you know, a new way of collecting data. I don't know. It kind of um, in a way I'm not surprised, but I am also still surprised that that um, data is not collected for this functionality of our bodies as much as it is for other things like you say our our heart and things like that what do you what why do you think there has been a reluctance to collect data about people's uh cock functions frankly i'm stunned uh and Mm. i've had a couple of my friends tease me say hey it's kind of providential it took a doctor who's really into sex Mm -hmm. uh no i'm by back i also have I've been working in medical technology for a while, so, so everyone knows about sensor technology mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to be to be charged with this because the straight urologists just don't get it. I mean, one of the one of the jokes we have at medical conventions uh, is how do you tell the difference between a straight doctor and a gay doctor? You ask them one question. Nell, what's the question? Um, well, it's going to be something about dicks. It is. See, the, the question is, do you use a cock ring? Oh, okay. So, uh, straight doctor, it's like Superman and Kryptonite. Oh, I don't need that. Gay doctor. Yeah. Last night, that one, that's the one that I used last night was really uncomfortable. Right, so, right. Yeah. You know, 90, 90% of, of <laughs> gay men in the United States, UK probably too, have sex regularly, use a cock ring. Only yeah. 10% of straight men do. Uh, right. And it's one of my goals with FirmTech is to mainstream cock rings because our data shows that if a man wants to have last longer, uh, have a better orgasm, and stay harder comfortably after, after climax for a longer period of time, mm-hmm. put a ring on it, whether you have ED or whether you don't have ED. In my you life- You need the data. Whether you do or don't, you need the data. Well, you need the data, to... but you also yeah. need the ring. 
the ring yeah. produces a, a a harder erection, and our well, our ring works for two reasons. I mean, we we don't block the arterial slope below; we just constrain the venous return. So my my girth, my width, mm-hmm. if you will, increases by three to four millimeters. Well, no one's walking by me and saying, "Oh my God, porn star, three to four millimeters," because mm-hmm. it's invisible. But that's that's the max amount of blood my penis can hold. So beyond mm-hmm. this, is what what gay men understand that straight men don't understand, beyond rock hard. This cock ring hard. Nothing will get a man harder than a cock ring. Mm-hmm. No amount of oral, manual, vaginal anal stimulation is going to, is going to, is going to get a man harder. Every yeah. man wants to have a and sustaining ring. because it's keeping the blood in there. Right. Our ring. We have a second product we call the maximum performance ring. This one doesn't have sensors in it, mm-hmm. but it was designed to increase the ejaculatory phase by fifty percent. Right. So. If you draw out the ejaculation, you have you have more more profound orgasm. So that mm-hmm. that was the that with that device that almost sold out really quickly. Uh, my ejaculatory phase goes from four seconds to seven seconds. Right. Well, you know, my wife is just glad the kids are out of the house right now because it's it's almost a, a pillow for me. It's a pillow chewing experience. It's it's so it's actually so intense. Right. And like you, Mel, I'm certain you consider yourself to be a connoisseur of your own orgasm. I feel the same way. Right. At age seventy, suddenly after you know after having pretty much an orgasm a day, basically my entire life, it's like, oh my god, this is better. It, it, I mean, that's like ten percent better. I don't. Want, it's not like a vibrator. It's like ten percent better. Right. But it's kind of like it's kind of like discovering but, salt on salt on food. You know, oh my god. Yeah, that's it's significant. But I'm still hung up on this uh, this idea that um, urology and that doctors that specialize in this field are not and not previously or not seeing the value in collecting data like that's just such an obvious basic principle of medicine so yes. i'm just wondering you know if you if you walk into if you walk into a conference of urologists 500 urologists and you give them the talk like it's why money. are they reluctant to that because the doctors are or are thinking about um interventions to fix problems they're not thinking about prevention they're not thinking mm-hmm. of, nor and also, you can't prescribe cock rings. In the United States, yeah. there's no. If you if I tell you, hey Nell, you're, you're losing your erections. I think it's anxiety. Put a cock ring on. Or hey Nell, I think you know your blood pressure medicine. You can counteract it with a cock ring. I make no money doing that. This is the, the yeah. fortunate thing about doctors. You know, only if I write your prescription and tell you come back in three months, or if I tell you you need surgery. Yeah. <laughs> so the, yeah. the doctors are oriented towards towards things. Towards interventions, I, I also yeah. think that, that overall doctors are kind of conservative, prudish people uh, who are, are really reluctant to talk about these things. I mean, right. I've never had. Have you? Ever, I've never had a doctor ask me about. I'll even take out the middle of sex. They never asked about my marriage. Well, mm. a person's marriage or a person's committed relationship, mm-hmm. are prof- or if they don't, if I don't have them, this mm-hmm. is both these things are profoundly important to a person's not just a person's happiness, to their health and their well being. Yeah, to their health. And we we know that people have there are there are studies showing that people have sex every day have lower cortisol levels. Mm. Why don't doctors tell people to have sex every day? Yeah, they can. We we know that that um, that that if you're over age seven, there's actually a big British study it's done in Wales a few years ago mm-hmm. showing that all controlling for all other medical factors, if you're over the age of seventy, you have sex twice a week, your risk of of cardiovascular death goes down by fifty percent. You're still right. going to die. But right. you, but it goes, but your risk, but your risk goes, goes down. down. 
So what if, if to get to a free sex world, what would we have to change about the medical profession and how it views a person's sexual function? How does the medical profession well, that's, change? That's, that's, that's part of, that's one of our goals because we, I, I want to make this erectile fitness score mm-hmm. that you see here. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, I can stand- see it in the app. This, it's just right. some numbers in, in the, yeah, I can't see right. what the numbers are, but my- they're counting your erectile fitness. <laughs> Thank I'm you for sharing that, Elliot. You'd probably be a 10, man. The, uh, <laughs> you look like a 10. The, we have to, I want doctors one, my uncle, there were three papers published abstracted so far, but using utilizing our technology. There are going to be another six uh, this year. Okay. My, my goal is to have, by, 20, by the end of 25, to have our erectile fitness score, something very you know, similar to it, become a standard of care for all men over the age of 40 and for all men who, who say they have erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. So that if... In the future, if you, you know, five years from now, if, if you were to go to a, you'll, hey, you'll be 45 in five years, I guess, or 44. If you were yeah. to go to a doctor and he doesn't get your erectile fitness score, he's not actually doing his job. Just the way if you didn't check your blood pressure or check yeah. your blood sugar or check your, your, your um, low, low proteins, he wouldn't be doing his or her job. So and I want to make you- the standard of care. Yeah, and what do you think we'd need to change in the minds of the average patient in order for the average patient to say, yeah, that sounds like a good idea when the doctor says, oh, let me just check your erectile function. (laughs) You know, I I don't think it's, I mean, that, I think it's a bigger step actually for doctors than for for people. I think people actually do want, I think people are inhibited. Yeah. But they do want to talk about it. And they, yeah. uh, and they, they're more than doctors suspect. Mm-hmm. So in, and that's really my personal experience as, as, as a doctor, that if you, yeah. that if you start the conversation, um, especially if they're there with their partner, someone's mm-hmm. going to talk. Uh, as, and, and especially because you have this, this privilege, qual- privilege quality, don't you, to a, like a medical consultation where you know it's confidential and you know that you sort of you have to talk to your doctor about things because that's the reason why you're there and you, you know you still might hold back you still might be bringing shame you still just might be shy about saying certain words or talking about certain things but um there is this privileged position that doctors have so doctors as a as a kind of class of people in society could drive quite a lot of that change about getting people to talk about their sexual function a bit more yeah, well, we're actually in medical school, we're all trained to take a sexual history, and we don't mm. do it. What, what's ah, what's with that? So you we don't need do it to, in practice. You mean we don't do it in practice? That, uh-huh. That's correct. Uh, and we need to we need to to recognize that we are we as doctors. One, we're harming people. Mm-hmm. By harming people by now asking, we're also harming people because we're prescribing medications that have a significant impact. Yeah, this book here. Well, it's a big bestseller in the United States and a bestseller in the UK. It's called Outlive. Oh, yeah. It's by uh, Dr. Peter Adia. It's all about how to live longer. Oh, yeah. You won't find sex in the index. That's how bad things are. That's oh, how wow. inhibited. And I that mean, looks like a big book as well. That's a 500-page book, and it doesn't yeah. mention sex. <laughs> Enormously popular book. It's not on my list. <laughs> so, and we also, and I think the, the, we need to, doctors need to ask people about their relationships. Yeah. And they need to ask people about Medication side, warn people about medication side effects. And <clears throat> they need to ask this key question. Do you, you, 
when you when you get aroused, you lose erections. Yeah. Are you sexually confident? Yeah. Yeah. It's well, hard. Also, I mean, just one of the big differences between the US and the UK is the is the healthcare systems, right? And these differences, you know, we can debate the 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 virtues of them, left, right, they and center. Suck. Well, yeah, they they do. I agree. They both suck for different reasons. But um, but I don't want to necessarily get into the debate about whether private or public is better. And also the UK one isn't even public fully anyway anymore. But my but my point is that the, there, there is a fun, there is a feature of the UK National Health uh, Service, which is that because it buys drugs and devices at, at the level of like an entire system, rather than just a, an individual practice, you know, it has to, um, it has to get value for money. And because it's, you know, it's acting on behalf of the public, so it has to get value for money. And it also has to make sure that um, at scale, the intervention that it's, that it's procuring um, has enough economic data behind it, that it's, um, it saves money over the long term, as an as as an intervention, as opposed to the later interventions that would otherwise be required if the earlier one wasn't. So I'm thinking of um, prep, uh, which is you know the drug that a lot of people take, so that um, it prevents you from if you're at risk of if you're doing sex that is a higher risk of HIV transmission. It means that you just cannot um, you cannot get HIV if you're taking prep. And so the way that the UK system um, eventually um, bought prep and gave it to um people who are ha- like me <laughs> who are having sex that's higher likelihood of or higher chance of hiv transmission the way they did that was they said well actually the long-term care for a person with living with hiv um will cost us more money um even if that's a smaller number of people than we pr- than we give prep to and we give prep to like loads and loads of people so it means that they they don't get hiv and then that will save us money in the long term um, and that's quite aside from the morality and the politics of it. And so do you have yet that kind of data for the efficacy of uh, this, um, the device that you're talking about, um, the wearable? And, and and is that the direction of travel? Well, we're still interested in going in that, in, in that direction. Yeah. We, we don't have, we don't have that data. The re- that- we, we will have... I'm, I mean, it's I, still so new, we, right? We as, a, we as a company have the data. The data has to be... First, you, the mm-hmm. process is really long and painful. First, you have to mm-hmm. you, you, you get an, present an abstract on a small number of people at, at mm-hmm. a meeting. And then you, get, then, you get, then you have to study a large number of people. Yeah. And then the research Trials. has to be published. The, the time just between a publication of an abstract yeah. and, and it, it being, it being in a journal is yeah. a year. So I, I don't see that happening you know, quickly. But I'll put... Yeah. But I'll, it's to my mind it's, it's not it's it's obvious in the sense that if we know that that um decreasing number of nocturnal erections is a leading indicator of of a cardiovascular event heart attack or a stroke yeah this becomes another way of screening powerful way of, of screening for, yeah exactly uh, you know, for, for that risk and that would save money to a, a healthcare system in the long run and of course primarily it would save the suffering of the patient who otherwise Correct. wouldn't have that uh, that future problem detected but but then there are other and we we also we've had, I mean the data is potentially life saving. I guess it's really it's a point that both yeah. you and I you know the you and I are making. We've had patients, yeah. I, excuse me, corporate customers. I can't call them patients because I'm not a doctor. Yeah. We have had customers who've had the, the declining nocturnal erections and have have sought medical care you know for for, for life saving problems, mm-hmm. uh, uh, atherosclerosis, significant atherosclerosis, 
mm-hmm. hypertensive emergencies, mm-hmm. um, adrenal insufficiency, which was the failure of the adrenal glands to, to produce hormones, thus mm-hmm. leading you know, lead, lead to what I call dysfunction. Uh, so we, we have case reports, you know, of, of that of, the, of that nature, but wow. the, it, it also becomes a way of evaluating and saving money on medications that don't work. So, yeah. for example, what doctors do someone has erectile dysfunction, say, hey, go out there and take, take some, take a PD-5 medication, take Cialis, take Zodanafil, take Zodanafil. Mm-hmm. Well, if a man is having nocturnal erections and can't get up with a partner, mm-hmm. he doesn't need a medication. There's something it's a psychological psych- thing. A psychological issue. And that's probably, mm-hmm. I, would, I mean, there are, there are doctors, urologists in the United States who guess that 30 to 50% of the medications that are prescribed are being prescribed unnecessarily. Now, they, they have a placebo effect. Uh, you know, right. you know, benefit, but the people really need them. So right. in terms of cost, um, or, and then you can also regulate the dosage. So for example, my, myself, there's no difference between taking 10 milligrams of Tadalafil and 20 milligrams of Tadalafil. So why would I take the larger dose? But I wouldn't know that without mm-hmm. the data. Right. Yeah. I think we probably should wrap it up here, Elliot. This has been okay. so great to speak to you. Is there any final thought that you want to leave me with about sexual function and sexual health and how we get that world of free sex? Well, I'd summarize it this way. Uh, if you're a man, whether you have ED or don't have ED, put a ring on it. Of course, <laughs> I want you to put our ring on it, but put a, put a ring on it. Uh, how much is your ring? Tell I me, how much is your ring? I just Valentine's Day, I'm going to put a ring on. Our uh, ring is, the U.S. is $60. We do ship okay. in the U.K. Okay. Uh, yeah. And that comes, uh, and then you get the app as well. The, the, the ring with the app is called the called tech ring. That's $275. Okay. $60 ring is the maximum performance ring that was designed to produce more intense orgasm. Right. The other ring is $275. And that's uh, the one that where you can collect the data about your function. That's where you can collect the data. And right. that, that gotcha. is you know, you know, life change. So put a ring on it. If you're a man who has ED or you have risk factors or you're getting older, you, you want to know your data just the way you want to know your blood pressure or your, lip, or your cholesterol, right. you, know, yeah. you know, et cetera. Um, so, well, thank you so much. This has um, been very educational for me. Thank you, uh, Elliot. And um, yeah, let's hope we get that world of free sex. <laughs> yes. I can be reached at Elliot, E-L-L-I-O-T, at myfirmtech, M-Y-F-I-R-M-T-E-C-H.com. Great. Thanks for listening to this episode. Let me know what you think of free sex, the idea, or the podcast. Leave me a review and a star rating if you can. On social media, I'm at Adam Smith. Yes, that's Smith, but with a Z or a Z. Yeah, Smith. Mm. <laughs> it feels good in the mouth. <laughs> you can find more Aunt Nell productions on our website, auntnell.com. And on social, we're at auntnell underscore. The theme music is Trans Life by Othon, hosted, produced and edited by Adam Smith. And the executive producer for Aunt Nell is Tash Walker. To all you loves and lovers, good night.
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.